You're listening to the winning literary show, Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, live with host Denise Turney, author of the books Long Walk Up, Portia, Love Pour Over Me, Spiral, Love Has Many Faces, and Rosetta's Great Hope. Turn up your dial and get ready for a blast of feature author interviews, 411 on book festivals, writing conferences, and so much more. Ready? Let's go. Don't limit yourself. Many people limit themselves to what they think they can do. You can go as far as your mind lets you. What you believe, remember, you can achieve. And that's from Mary Kay Ash. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Off the Shelf Books Podcast. Hello to our loyal listeners. And if this is your first time tuning in, I just want to let you know, yes, you are listening to the Winning Book Podcast Off the Shelf. Can you guys believe it's almost the end of October? I feel like this year just blew, just blew by. It's almost the very end of the year. There's still time, though, if there's something you promised yourself you would do in 2023. There is still, don't put it off to 2024. There's still time for you to get started on it or to finish it this year. And so I want to welcome you. So don't limit yourself. And I want to welcome you to this Saturday, October 28, 2023 show. We have a wonderful author on deck for you. But before we get to that author, and as we close out October, I want to tell you about the very first novel I wrote. It is truly a classic, and I was told that by uh, people in the book industry. It is a book about a woman living in Chicago. She's a successful defense attorney. She's coming out of a bad relationship, and she's at a Christmas party that she goes to every year. She meets really the man she's supposed to spend the rest of her physical experience with, but she also discovers she has breast cancer. And this is October Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And she's a woman of faith. She has a loving family. Her father was active in the civil rights movement. Her mother is a prominent, well-respected school teacher in Chicago. If you really love an inspirational, empowering story, there are people who have given Portia to relatives who have gone through cancer, and the person said they were giving up, and they read the book, and they said, I'm going to fight. I encourage you to get a copy of Portia for yourself. You don't have to have breast cancer to get something from the story. Uh, it's a very short, small read. You probably can read it in less than two hours. To get a copy of Portia for yourself or to gift it to somebody today, it's an e-book and, and print book. Again, Portia by Denise Turney. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. I always learn something from every guest that is on this show. And our special guest this morning is Naomi Dunson-White. Naomi is a children's book author. She is also an educator, editor, foster care specialist, and mother. And I enjoyed researching for her question for her show. Now, as shared at her website, Naomi has a passion for closing the diversity gap in the children's literature industry, and she believes all children deserve to have books with characters who look like them. Oh, that's so, I so agree. She is the author of the books, Why Am I Here? and Harry the Great. Please visit Naomi Dunson White online at NaomiBooks.com, and that is spelled N-A-O-M-I-B-O-O-K-S.com, N-A-O-M-I-B-O-O-K-S.com, NaomiBooks.com. We are just absolutely honored to have Naomi here with us on Off the Shelf this morning. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Naomi. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, yeah. we I enjoy do researching like I was telling the listeners for your show, so I'm excited to hear what you will share with us this morning. Now, the very first three or four questions I ask, I'm going to ask you, I ask every guest, so our listeners get a little backstory on our guests before I start talking about their books. So to kick okay. off today's show, Naomi, will you tell off-the-shelf listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? Oh, what a great question. That is awesome. Okay, I grew up um, in Middletown, New York. Um, we moved to Middletown, New York from Patterson, New Jersey, so I'm completely an East Coast girl. That's my whole experience. And um, my life 
as a child, I grew up in a single parent home with my mom and my two older sisters. And we moved from a um, difficult situation in a big city in Patterson, New Jersey, and moved to a small town in upstate New York and um, pretty much were uh, introduced to a, a new way of life by my godparents. Um, people, you know, got completely put in my life for that reason. We got a new start in life um, in Middletown, New York. So, oh, lots of love, okay. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah my sisters and I. We, mm-hmm. No, go ahead. How many sisters, and did you have any brothers, and how many sisters did you have? No, um, I'm the baby of the family. I just have two older sisters. One is four years older than me, and one is five years older. Ah, I bet you I had fun growing up in the Northeast. I I lived in the Philly area, and I used to work in New York, so that's why I said that. Now, when you were a little girl, Naomi, what did you dream of becoming when you grew up? I I actually dreamt of becoming a teacher, uh, which I did, and an author. I wanted to write a book one day because everything important in my life, exciting in my life, interesting, it was around books. I was an early reader, and if you were looking for little Naomi, you could find her with a book somewhere. I always had a book. (laughs) You you knew you wanted to be an author. I'm curious, how old were you when you knew? When I knew that I was going to do it, it was later in life, but when I knew I dreamt and wanted to do it, I was just a little kid. You know, I was a little kid, and the, the cha- yeah, I can tell you later about the the moment that it happened and uh, the experience I had that made me uh, dream of that. I can tell you that later. <laughs> I can tell you of all the years we've done off the shelf, and it's well over twelve. That is one of the first times I've heard somebody say they knew from the time they were a kid. It's very rare. Really? Yeah, they stumble. They stumble into it. They stumble into it. Um, so you said you love to read books. Who or what inspired you to read books? Did one of your parents read books a lot, and was that it? Did somebody read to you in a way that it, it, it made it made you want to read more on your own? You know, I was a quiet uh, child, you know, and I don't really remember anybody particularly introducing me to books and saying, oh, books are very important. I just always loved them from the first book that I had. And being shy and somewhat introverted, I could lose myself, you know, in books and the stories. And my imagination was always uh, vivid, you know. And so I just felt so comfortable and safe um, reading these stories. And that still is with me today. I, I read every day or I listen to an audio book every day, and now my whole world is surrounded with um, with books and helping other people become book lovers or authors. So I, I just believe it was meant to be. Okay. Now you share the link to stats on diverse children's books at your website. Yeah. Now, yeah. And although the numbers of the books, and it was an eye-opener for me, but although the numbers oh, of good. books by and or with, Black American and Asian characters has risen, which is good news, since 2018. Mm-hmm. There's still a very significant, and until you look at the stats, you won't realize maybe how significant. There's still a, exactly. a significant lag behind children's books published by, or like European, with European characters. Now, without diverse indie books, because I'm telling you, when I was a kid, there were no books with little black kids in them. No. But without Mm-mm. diverse indie books the numbers might be much worse. Why do you think publishers are still slow, Naomi, to publish children's books with more diverse characters? Well, I'm going to be frank, and I hope that's okay with you because I'm always very frank and direct when I speak about this subject. This is my passion. Um, Clearly, it is gatekeeping. That's, That's what I'm going to start with. It is clearly gatekeeping the big publishing houses they have that power and they have that control and like you said if it wasn't for us indie authors really pushing our way making our voices heard and making uh, this diversity subject front and center uh, they would have their way in 
favoring talking toys and animals and cars and other inanimate objects. They'd rather have them as the main characters of our of our children's books than a black or brown skinned child. And I am not having that at all. And that is my platform from the first moment I presented myself as an author. And I have been able to, you know, speak about this passionately and bring attention to uh, this subject and have so many authors who join me in my quest now. And we are on a mission to change that. Because like you said, many people don't even realize that this is happening. But well, you said gatekeepers. Why do you? But why do you yes. think is it they want to create perception around like this culture is better, or they make more money uh, <laughs> just with less diverse? The books that are less diverse are the ones that sell yeah. the most. Yeah, it's a matter of uh, money, and it's a matter of unfortunately prejudice and uh, racism. Frankly speaking, um, that's what gatekeeping is all about, maintaining that type of control and maintaining the control over what is put in front of our children. But today, black and brown parents are just becoming, we're becoming more aware, you know, and we know that what a child reads has an impact on them, not only academically, but social, socially and emotionally. So there's a whole movement, um, social-emotional learning, is huge because what happened for me, that moment that I was uh, telling you about, like you, when I was growing up, there were no uh, black and brown people in books, <laughs> you know, and if they were, they were put in a very, very negative derogatory light, um, a mocking way, if you know what I'm saying. Um, I, I read, I saw this book one day, I was a very little girl, I saw this book and there was a teddy bear on the cover and the book was um, Corduroy. I don't know if you remember that. It was a very popular book still today. Corduroy the Bear. The bear was on the cover, but inside, when I opened the book at the library, there was a little girl, and she was an African-American girl. And she looked like she could have been a member of my family, if not me, myself. And she was pretty. She was smart. Her mother was pretty. They had nice clothes on. They were going to the big store. And I, I, I just, something touched me. So I got this book, I took it out, took it home. I read this book over and over and over again. I kept taking it back out over and over again. The little girl's name was Lisa. This book was written by a Caucasian man named Don Freeman. Um, He got so much pushback over this book. And it pretty much could have jeopardized his career, but he pushed forward to uh, have this book um, published. The little girl wasn't on the cover purposely, but she was inside, and she was not. Um, she was in a positive light all the way through. Like I said, she was smart. She was empathetic. The lessons that you learn from Corduroy the Bear is to not judge people, to help, you know, to have empathy and to show love. Even her saving her money to go and buy the bear, there was a lesson in that. And if you if you like to do any research later, his name is Don Freeman. You can learn his story if you do a little research online. His daughter, uh, his best friend's daughter was Lisa. That was who he um, formulated the story about Lisa. His best friend was a black man. And they had a very loving relationship, the two families. And this story was an honor to his best friend and the girl, Lisa. And Lisa actually has grown now, of course, and she actually has blogged about this whole story. But for me, what Lisa did is I knew books were the most important thing in the world to me. So if Lisa was in a book, then she must be important as well. And as a little girl, I thought, well, if Lisa looks like me, then maybe I'm important too. And it did something to me at that moment. And I believe that was God speaking to me, you know, about my future. And I knew, I, I just knew that I was going to be either in a story one day or I was going to write a story one day because I was always writing new endings to my books anyway, making up stories and poems and things. And like I said, that that changed everything for me. So I bring that passion of my own experience and I share that with other people because that's real, you know, that that changed me. And, And I want that impact to be on our children. I don't want them to have to search 
for a book that has a character that looks like them. Wow. Oh, my gosh. You know what? And my dad gave me a book, uh, Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. I want to say it was Mildred yeah. Taylor who wrote that. That changed it for me because that was the first time I'd seen black kids in a the, in the, book. It, it's a, it, the society is very different in that regard. We were hardly ever on TV, no magazines, no yes. books. Yeah. And I, like you say, I think it was deliberate, but thankfully people started to just do it on their own, and now it's changing. Now, it is. Even, uh, so I, did, I also wanted to ask you this when I was looking at those stats. Why do you think there are so few children's books with indigenous Pacific Islander and Oh, my gosh. I was blown oh. away. Everybody, I know. Everybody I know. in America, every, so many streets are named after Native Americans. So we, mm-hmm. people want to say, oh, I'm Native American. But we literally push those people aside mm-hmm. almost like they, they, they don't never even existed. And then they're not in books. Yeah. They're not in – you hardly see them in movies. Um, why do you think there's so few children's books for those people from those backgrounds? Well – it, it is changing. I do have some um, colleagues on social media that have wonderful platforms that it, uh, that are bringing these things to light. But you're right. It, it's absolutely a shame, really. It, it's a shame. It, it just really is. I mean, we are talking about single digits as far as, you know, percentages. And I don't mean to come off as if, you know, I, you know, dislike, Caucasian people or I'm blaming all Caucasian people. I am not. However, they have been in control, you know, from the beginning of this um, racism and prejudice. And unfortunately, Native Americans were one of the first groups to uh, suffer that type of discrimination and the horrible results that came from that. Um, And again, that's how I sum it up. It's gatekeeping. It just is. But more attention needs to be uh, made, you know, to this subject. Um, Like you said, Native Americans, um, Arab Americans, um, we just reached double digits just a few few years ago, meaning like 10%, over 10% of the books that are out on the market as far as African American, Asian, Latina. It is a huge struggle. So when I am speaking and advocating for diversity, I am not just advocating for black Americans. I'm advocating for all people of color. And that's where we get that phrase BIPOC, black, indigenous, people of color. So I consider myself a BIPOC advocate because all children, once again, need to see themselves in books. Because when they don't, it says something to them. It speaks very loudly and very clearly to them. And when they do, it resonates with them. They feel it, you know. And yes. when you think about it, you, you, you can tell, you know, I, when I go to visit children and they, they see my picture inside that book and they say, you wrote this book? Yeah, I did. And the children who look like me, their faces just light up. Like It's like mm. when I saw Lisa in the book, you know. <laughs> and honestly, it's not really um, fair to... Caucasian children or the dominant culture, um, those children, because if you don't expose them to diversity in children's books, they grow up with a warped sense of this world. You know, they grow up thinking that the dominant culture or the prominent culture is, is better and the others are not. So when we use messages and we show these, these images in children's books, we're teaching them to, to have empathy and to have interest and to accept and to spread love, you know, and to realize that people who are different from you are wonderful. You're wonderful. You know, you're beautiful, and so is everyone else. So that's, that's how we teach through children's books. Okay. So how can, how can indie authors, diverse indie authors of all backgrounds, mm-hmm. before we start talking about your, your book, Why Am I Here?, how can diverse indie authors close the gap further? Um, close the gap by making sure that your books are excellent. I mean, that's that's what I teach my clients. Um, okay. So now I'm blessed to that's that's my business. Not only as a children's book author, but I'm I'm an editor and I coach new authors and help people who want to be um, authors 
that's what we do. But our key is be excellent. Show the big publishing companies that our books are just as good as theirs, right? Quality stories that have academic value, not just entertainment value for children. Um, lessons that speak to their emotional well-being, you know, not just – it can be a fun story, but let it, let it be something positive for the child to carry away, you know. Show diverse children in your books, you know, and even children who, like in my book, um, Why Am I Here?, even children who have uh, different uh, bodies, you know, if you have a different physical um, ability, I don't want to say disability, but children who are differently, children need to see that too. So, yes, a child might be in the wheelchair, but they're still playing, they're still learning, they're still having fun, you can still be friends. So we need to show all types of children in our books, regardless of who the main character is, include other children. So it becomes a normal thing where children see themselves, they see their friends, they see their neighbors. You know, um, that's the way to get children to have the attitude that we all matter. I, I like and that's that. How you, yeah, that. Yeah, that's how you do it. Yep. Yeah, even diverse authors can, can like you said, include diverse characters in, in, mm-hmm. in the books that we write. That also helps. Uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Now, will you please give off-the-shelf listeners an overview of your book, Why Am I Here? Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, it's everything we just talked about. It is a book that, uh, it's a picture book, and it's beautifully, beautifully illustrated by Megan Rizzo. Um, they're not just regular illustrations, they're full spread, so you open up each page and there's this huge, beautiful picture uh, covering everything. And it teaches children about purpose in a way that um, shows them the possibilities beginning with their imagination and shows them the possibilities of where their imagination can take them, what they can become, where they can go, and even overcoming obstacles in life. But it has two main characters that are children with color, purposely no names, because I want our children to imagine themselves as the character. So these children have their names. And it also shows scenes with children from all backgrounds, as we just spoke about. You know, children that are different in shape, in size, in skin color, you know, in height, in physical um, makeup. Um, Different cultures are, are shown in their clothing. And the lesson here is that we each have a path to follow in life. And your path may be different than mine, but my path, uh, there's a line that says, uh, you are here for a reason. Yes, that is true. There is something only you were created to do. Your path to the future was made for your feet, special places to go, and special people to meet. So that is really the crux of the book. Uh, Don't worry about what other people are doing. You know, listen to your heart. And you're and feeling your soul, what you are meant to do, because I do believe that God has created each of us uh, with a purpose and a path to follow in life. And when we see ourselves, when children see themselves in books and they see other people, they realize that all the dreams and all the wonders and all of these things that we find in a book are for them too, not just other people, but for them too, and that each child has a purpose. So that's what that book is about. And thank you for sharing that. Um, how, what age group would you say the, that Why Am I Here is written for? Um, K to three or K to four, depending on um, the reader. It's a book that is, I, I sell a lot of these as um, people give baby shower books now. Instead of cards, they ask for books. And because it's a book that speaks into the life of the child and speaks about purpose and future, um, it's great for reading to younger children who can't even read yet, right? And I've had many people, adults, tell me that they, this is a book that they wish they had when they were growing up. And actually, it's a book I wish I had when I was growing up, too. <laughs> so, yeah. And in the back of the book, I use, um, I've created, of course, as, as a teacher, I've created um, a couple of sheets, like worksheets for discussion with, with uh, family members. So that we can move beyond just asking children, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because we all do that. And then we say, great. When they tell us, we tell them they can be whatever they want. 
But we leave it there. And I want us to start asking children, what do you feel inside? What do you feel in your heart, you know, that, that you are here to give to the world, to bring to the world? So it's not just about a job. It's about a purpose. Mm. Now, how specifically, you told us about an overview of why am I here. What, mm-hmm. what, can you give like one or two specific examples of how you, 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 you teach? And, and this, this is a very young children, this book is for, that you mm-hmm. teach mm-hmm. them about purpose. What specific, don't give the book away, but like a scene or two mm-hmm. that you teach about purpose and why am I here? Sure. Um, one of my favorite spreads, my favorite illustrations in the book, um, you'll see this. It's, it was inspired from, I was, I was watching the news one day. It was during the George Floyd uprising and, you know, all of that emotion, um, both good and bad. You know, there was a lot of vitriol coming from what we were seeing. There was fear, you know, there was anger and a lot of hurt, all of these emotions. And I, I thought one day, you know, if I'm feeling all this and I'm grown, and this is very scary and it's hurtful, what are our children feeling? And so I had my illustrator work on an illustration that shows children from all backgrounds, and they're all holding hands, and they're in front of a, like a pro, what you would, the background would be a protest. And all of the signs, the protest signs, the message, one of them says peace, one says unite, one says purpose. One says diversity matters, support one another, and love. So they're holding hands in front of this protest, and this is what the language is. Our skin, our language, we are more than just one. Our bodies, our culture, where our families come from. We all have our dreams and a right to belong. We stand together, united and strong. So that's how I put that message in there that we all matter. We should support each other, love each other, and stand together. That's perfect. And I, 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 this, this one, this question came up as I was doing the research. How old, my sister's a school teacher, and she, she says she mm-hmm. starts to see, uh, not always, but generally with kids uh, at the age of three, you can start seeing mm-hmm. more of their personality and, mm-hmm. and how they go about getting getting things they want, because that's a big part of growing up. How do I get what I want? And maybe that's mm-hmm. one of our big focuses our whole time we're here, but how, how old, what age have you seen as a teacher and just somebody walking through this world, at what age have you seen children be when they begin to understand what a, a life path is? I'm assuming that's in high school. Uh, no, I think earlier when you're thinking about life path, and I really think it depends on the environment the child is in, because if you're if you're making and this is what I encourage parents when I go to speak to uh, parent groups and you know school groups, books should already be here before the child gets here. Books should be a part of a child's life while they're in the womb. Really, read to the child. So when the child comes to this home, books are already a part of it. So it becomes natural, right? It would be wonderful for children to see parents reading and parents discussing these things because then they just slide right into it. It's their environment. That's all they know, right? So if you have a home where books are um, incorporated in your daily living and you're discussing the things that the child has learned, that child's going to be more open to that type of direction, that type of wondering and questioning of what will I be, not only what will I be, but what will I give, what will I contribute to this world, what do I want to see happen, where do I fit, you know. So it could be a young child. It could be in elementary school where a child pretty much has an idea of their gift. But it depends on that environment. Yeah, it's that nurture, you know, it's that village um, mentality that is really the most beautiful thing we can do for a child, but we're losing it because people are so involved with celebrity life and social life and social media and, you know, the audiovisual world is just so distracting. But if we could mm-hmm. have a child feel like there is a village guiding them 
and, and directing them and helping them achieve their goals, I believe that children would earlier um, become aware of those types of thoughts and possibilities. And those are the things I explore in my other book, um, Jahari the Great, has that village mentality feel, yeah. And now introduce, you said you don't give the characters names because you, you want the young reader to see themselves in the character. But can you describe for our listeners some of the personalities, likes, dislikes, challenges, et cetera, mm-hmm. of two to three characters and why am I here? Okay, so yes, there's um, two characters that are introduced that, that the book begins with. They're on the cover. It's a boy and a girl. Both are children of color. Um, doesn't They don't have to be black. They could be black. They could be uh, Indian. You know, it doesn't matter. They could be Latino. But I want the children to be able to relate. And these two children carry the story all the way through. So they're the main characters, and we see them in these different um, possibilities. You know, when the girl sees herself as a doctor, the boy sees himself as a, jo- as a judge, and then they start moving through the places that they can go. There's one scene where you have the seven wonders of the world, and it says, I will travel. You know, there, I will go places near, far, and wide. You know, I have a purpose deep down inside. So these two characters carry the story and then um, the page opens up and we see their friends. And now they're with their friends, um, all of these different diverse children. And then we see uh, um, later them seeing their path laid out in front of them, you know, their future. And the other picture, that I, the illustration that I told you about with the protest. So these two characters, characters go from beginning to end. And their friends, uh, they encounter the diverse children as the story progresses. Okay, that's a that's mm-hmm. a, and I have to ask you this: Have you ever seen that concept where the characters don't have a name? Um, and have you have any parents or young readers tell you that that was presented a challenge or that that was easy for them to adapt to while they read the story? No, it's actually um, it's a, it's kind of a, an emotional or psychological um, thing. You know, it gives you a, a cue where you're just imagining yourself because this person doesn't, doesn't have a name, but you don't even realize it. Um, one person told me they didn't even realize it until the book was over. In the questions that I have at the end, I say the boy and the girl, and it dawned on them, oh, yeah, they never had names. So ah. it's not that, yeah, you know, it, it's, per, it's, it's intentional. Um, because I really want the child to see that that girl could be them or that boy could be them, yeah. So it doesn't come off as a de- yeah, it doesn't come off as a as a, a puzzle or a detriment. You don't even realize it <laughs> that is happening. You just are so involved in the story. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now tell us about Jahari the Great, and what does what does tell us about the story and what Jonah mm-hmm. experiences in the book. Yeah, well, Johari is my oldest grandchild's name. It's a Swahili name, and it means jewel. And I wrote this story originally. It was just supposed to be a little, just a little uh, quick story that I wrote as a gift, a birthday gift to him. But it, I just was inspired to do more with it. And um, uh, my son and, and daughter-in-law were both saying, um, Mom, this this is a book. This is not a story. This is a book. And so I added to the story, and I thought one day, you know, I should publish this book. This must be the book I'm supposed to publish. And it just went on and on. And over the years, I, I the, the family grew. And so what I did is I wrote each one of my grandchildren's names as a character in the book. Um, not them, but just their name. So Johari is a boy. He's an African-American boy who's in the fifth grade. And the story is that his teacher um, teaches the children how to use their imagination to write. And Johari does that, and he excels. And he realizes, you know, throughout the story, we realize as well that that is his gift. He is a gifted writer. So it highlights the wonderful relationship between a teacher and a student 
when a teacher can inspire a child to be the best that they can be and they pull out that gift in the child and then the child just takes off and excels. So that's one of the uh, themes of underlying messages of the book. Jahari writes this wonderful story, but he has to overcome his fear because he has to read it in front of the school because there's a school contest. So, <laughs> so, yes, so he has to read the story if he wants to win this contest and he wants to win this prize for his family. So I also am able to weave a lesson or two in there about competition, how you can be in a contest with your friends, but you don't have to disparage each other. You can root for each other. So there's, there's um, those little lessons are in there too because he likes his friend who's in the competition, but he wants to win. So good sportsmanship is one of the underlying messages. In Jahari's story, there is a mystery, and he has to go to his community members to help solve the mystery. So there we have that village. You know, his, he has a wonderful relationship with his father. He knows his, his neighbor by name. He knows the shopkeeper by name. He knows the mail delivery person by name. And they are all helping Johari. Um, and I don't want to give it away, but there's a surprise ending. But it's a beautiful story that shows that um, this teacher inspires this child. He uses his imagination. He sets a goal. He discovers his gift. And he, he does his best um, to accomplish his goal. It's a very beautiful story. And he's in a fifth it's grade, so this is yes, for, a, this is for an older an older reader. Um, now, does yes, he... This... No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, this story, um, it's for, a set, I would say, second to fourth grade, depending on the, the child's reading level, because it's what we call a transitional book. It's an early chapter book. So the chapters are very short, three to five pages, and the book is fully illustrated. So there's illustrations of different size throughout the book. And this is when we're teaching children that, you know, you're not ready for, uh, they're not ready for no pictures at all, but they're ready for more words than pictures. So it helps the child to ease into those chapter books where it's all words. If that Does that make okay. sense? Yes, yes. And, and, yeah. and mm-hmm. so does he, 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 does Joe Harry exercise courage? Don't without giving the story away, and do great things. Joe Harry the Great. He, he does. Yeah. Does he get his courage up, or does don't not not give? He not does. Give away I'm not going to get. That doesn't give it away. He does. He does because what he does. Um, the way that I wrote the story is actually a story within the story because as he goes to the stage to read his story, he has written himself as the hero. So he's reading the story and we're hearing the story through Jahari. And we're seeing the pictures through his eyes. And so it becomes, it's, it's very fun. There's a little humor in there. But the lesson here is that um, with a little help from his friends and the people around him, he discovers his greatness. And that's really what I would love for our children, you know, to, to know that, um, like the, the relationship with the teacher, so important, you know, the relationship with the dad. And it dispels these myths that there are out there about the black community. You know, yes, dads are present in the home. Yes, there are yes. black fathers who love their children and make sure that they're learning. Um, the school he attends is called Thurgood Marshall Elementary School. Um, the neighbors, like I said, they, they're they there. You know, we used to know who our neighbors were. Like when we walked home from school, we knew to behave, number one, <laughs> because the neighbors would see you. And we knew we were safe. We knew that the neighbors were watching. And we've lost so much of that. And um, I just wanted to put a, a little bit of flavor of that into um, the book. So there are uh, positive things to take away from this book as far as, um, you know, the black experience. Now, Jahari, he's did you did you uh, completely like kind of create his character off of your grandson? And if not, is he confident? What's his personality like? Well, I I started it uh, with a character, you know, that would remind me of my grandson. So in the beginning of the book, I have this note that I wrote um, to the reader. And it says, hi there, I wrote this book when my oldest grandson, Jahari, was just nine years old and his brother, Grant, was just a baby. Jahari was so smart that it always amazed me. 
He often surprised me with something new he was excited to have learned. One day, I imagined him living in a time before we had laptops, cell phones, iPads, and the Internet. Can you imagine that? I wondered how Jahari would use his intelligence, curiosity, and awesome imagination if those things were not yet invented, and then I wrote a book about it. So Jahari, on the cover, you see him with his superhero cape. He's got his hand (laughs) in the air, but he's holding a pencil, not a saber, not a sword. He's holding a pencil and a clipboard with a notebook in his hand. So Jahari is a superhero because he uses his mind and his imagination and intelligence, and that is key. So that's right on the cover. He is a superhero, but he's using the gifts that he has within him to become great. Okay. Now, are, excuse me, are either, either Jahari the Great, you kind of alluded to this before when you talked about why am I here, are either books... Mm-hmm activity books. I know those are very popular with kids as well as in with teachers. Are there areas mm-hmm. in both of these books where children can write, they can write notes, they can draw, there's activities they can complete? Yes, both of the books um, and any book that I that I publish um, for children, there are two uh, question, uh, worksheets or discussion sheets, however you want to call them, in the back that promote reading, you know, the comprehension, vocabulary, and just fun, some fun questions. So there's two in the back that are included in the book. Um, And there's also a coloring and activity book that goes with each. So there's all the illustrations from the book are in the coloring book, but there are fill-in-the-blanks to make sure that the the comprehension, you know, is, um, is checked as well. So it's fun. You can color, but you still answer the questions. It's recall kind of fun to know if you remember what goes there. You can look back in the book. And then for Why Am I Here, I've actually included more uh, writing activities. There's like word scrambles, crossword puzzle, but a full coloring book with all of the illustrations from each book. I think that's important. Oh. I want the children to have fun, but also, you know, it's it's stimulating. Awesome. I mean, because I, I'm told activity books are very popular and so it yeah. really and it, it 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 really deepens the lesson that you want the child to get from the book as well. Now, what have readers, young readers, and parents been saying about Harry the Great? Um, I got I really do receive good reviews. It, it's a fun story, and I like this book so much because it helps uh, children who are progressing in their reading skills. It helps them to transition to a higher level. And I really do love that. So they may not be ready to read the, you know, a full chapter book, like I said, but this teaches them for a, a parent could say, okay, we're going to read two chapters. There's only eight in this book. So we're going to read two chapters tonight, and they can do that, and that's an accomplishment. The child is, you know, leveling up here. And then they look forward to reading another chapter and another chapter, and they're so short purposely, intentionally, so that they can feel that sense of accomplishment. Hey, I just read two chapters. You know, I never read a chapter book before. I just read two chapters. So I I get good reviews, you know, from this book. It's a good experience um, for the children. And lots of wonderful reviews. Everything has been great on Amazon, just five-star reviews, you know, and I just love hearing from um, parents and educators and um, and children all, just to tell me what they think of the story. And I have many of the reviews on my website for, for viewers. Okay. You know, they can go in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And, and now, yeah. when you just a little bit, what is Puppet mm-hmm. Read Aloud? Oh, oh, this is so much fun. There's, <laughs> I have a link on my page. I like to, I have a couple of links for coloring sheets that kids can download or different things, you know, different educational things, like you found the diversity statistics. But the Puppet Read Aloud, there's a link on my page. If you click it, it will take you to YouTube. And this company uh, reviewed Why Am I Here, and they loved it. And they actually created a read aloud but it's a puppet doing the read aloud, and there's animations, and it's just beautifully done. It's it's a lot of fun, and I put it there because um, a parent could actually go, click it, and let the child, you know, be read to. You know, you can actually have story time right there. And I've also shared it with some preschools 
in schools so that they can do it for free. You can just, you know, have a fun time right there in the classroom, um, give the teacher a break maybe for a minute, you know, <laughs> and they can, they can click on this link and have story time right there. And it's fun because there, there are puppets doing it. It's very well done, very well done. That you know, that just sort of happened organically. It was like a wonderful surprise just coming into your life, which is, I think, just a just a very very good thing. Now, you also wrote and published a guide to help children learn to strengthen their reading skills. Why why did you write this guide, and is this intended for teachers? Well, this book I wrote, um, and it is an e-book. I will be printing that. I've been asked to do that, so I will be putting it in print. But it's it started from an outline that I use if I'm going to a group to speak about literacy or early literacy. The, it carries on from what I spoke about earlier about making books a part of a child's life, you know, early. So I do this whole presentation, and so this book, I just expanded on it, and it's called Is Your Child an Excellent Reader?, the subtitle is Unleashing the Genius Potential and Unleashing Your Child's Genius Potential. So I do believe that anybody can be genius in a certain area. You know, we're all gifted in different areas. I think Jahari was a genius when it comes to writing a creative adventure, adventure story. So I am trying to help parents to uncover that hidden gift in, within their child. And reading is the key to success in so many areas. So if we start early guiding that child into a good relationship with reading and books, I believe they have a better start in uh, pursuing and, and fulfilling their purpose. It breaks my heart when I hear children say, I don't like to read. Or I went to an event, yeah, I went to an event at a school the other, just the day before yesterday on Thursday, and the boys were like, I hate reading. I hate reading. The grandparent said to me, oh, yeah. I said, do you want to do an activity? He's like, and she said, oh, he hates reading. And my heart just breaks. It's like, don't say that. He just hasn't found, um, we haven't hit that spot within him. Like, we need to find what he likes and find books about what he likes and make it an experience for him. And unfortunately, I did I did an interview once, and we talked about this, because there's, there's this point, and I include this in the book, uh, Is Your Child an Excellent Reader? There's this point that teachers and educators know is a switch that happens, third grade, fourth grade, and it's when a child goes from learning to read, the next phase is reading to learn, okay? Mm. And it's a huge moment, and it's an indicator of how that child is going to reach those future milestones. It's a huge moment for a child. And unfortunately, that is where we lose a lot of children as far as reaching reading milestones. And doubly unfortunate is that the highest percentage of these children that miss the mark here are African-American boys. And that is why it was important for me to, yeah, it's sad. That's why it was important for me to publish Jahari the Great. Because, like I told you, he's in the fifth grade, you know, and he's moving on in his milestones. But I want to interest boys, get boys to be interested and not feel like it's too hard. I hate reading. And they're only saying they hate reading because they've missed something. You know what I mean? They, They didn't accomplish that major task here from that switch from learning to read to reading to learn. They haven't gotten over to the other side. It's difficult, and it is. It is. If you don't get on it right away, it's like an uphill battle. And it's hard, and it's emotional for a child. They don't want to be made fun of for reading out loud. They don't want to have to keep saying, I don't understand. What does this word mean? This doesn't make sense. So they say, I hate reading. And I just wish I could just gather them all up in a group hug and just make Uh, it right. (laughs) I remember when Hmm. I was in school many moons ago, there there were boys and girls they just didn't like to read, and they, it, I think mm-hmm. for them reading was, and this people of diverse backgrounds, is it, it mm-hmm. was. Um, I think they saw it as boring. You're sitting still. You're not. You're not playing. Yeah. You're not. You're not. You're not, you're not playing. Uh, whatever you do, playing with your kids, your friends, double dutching, your, yeah. or just with a frisbee, out fishing, whatever it is the kid likes to do. 
you're not doing that. You're sitting still and you're just reading a book. Mm-hmm. I think some people find it that way. And then some people, as they get older, they start to really enjoy joy reading. My 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 siblings weren't readers. I was the mm-hmm. reader, but they all now read books. Not not mm-hmm. not voraciously, but they do read them now. Where before we were kids, I don't think they hardly read a book at all beyond what they mm-hmm. had to do for school. So right. some people, but grow see, they found their books. interest. Yeah, they'll, they'll yeah. figure out how to how to match their interest to books, and then it's like, okay, this is great. So you know, now you found you, you were a reader early, like I was, but you know, some people it hits them later. <laughs> Yes, but there's so much there's so much good in a good book. Now you mentioned mm-hmm. when you were talking about why am I here? You you mentioned the name of your illustrator. Did you work with the same illustrator for Jahari the Great? And how did you find your children's book illustrator for particularly for our listeners who who are authors who like to find an illustrator of their own? Yes, I I was blessed. I really feel blessed. I did have Megan. Um, for both of my books. And I am from Michigan. I'm in the Detroit metro area. And there is a company here. It's a black-owned third-generational company called uh, Maze Multimedia. They have a division that is called Valley Publishing where they assist uh, authors, self-published authors, in that whole process. And I got my illustrator through Valley Publishing. They matched me with one of their illustrators after hearing. They sit down and they hear your story. They get your direction, like, what do you want to do? And they knew the illustrator that could bring forth my vision because it was so specific and it was so detailed. And I wanted the, um, an emotional experience, you know, for the child. And Megan was perfect. She caught my vision, and it meant as much to her as it did to me. And... Um, yeah, it it was just such a great uh, match. You know, when I first saw her first um, illustration for Jahari the Great, I just was in tears because it's like, this is my dream. And, you know, it's it's really going to happen. I will say that for my clients as well, the hardest thing for a children's book author is to find the right illustrator. It, it's just, it has to be the right fit for you, right? And you've seen these books where you can, the, the, the art is just the magic of the book. And then you see some books where the illustrations aren't really doing anything for you. Um, so you, you get what you pay for. When I do, yeah, I just did a webinar recently about uh, self-publishing. And for children's authors, you get what you pay for with your illustration. So to me, that is your major investment. And there are yeah, a lot the of people club. now. Mm-hmm. I'm no, sorry. No, go ahead. You said there are a lot of people. Uh, there are people who offer services on like um, Fiverr and Upworks. There are a lot of people um, that have, that do illustrations. Um, so it depends on what you want. Do you want create, you know, uh, custom art or do you want graphics that can be somewhat customized? So there's a wide range um, of, of opportunities now. Some are expensive, some are more reasonable. So you really do just have to look, unless you can get referred. Now, uh, we, we have about six minutes left. I really mm-hmm. quickly wanted to touch on you. also offer editing services. Can you tell us mm-hmm. about some of your editing packages? Oh, yes. Uh, This is like the best part of my job (laughs) because I do love writing. So being able to help um, a a writer who wants to become an author is truly a joy for me. And um, I feel blessed because it's like I get to read the book first, obviously. (laughs) But to be able to take a manuscript, a raw manuscript, and work with the author and then end up producing a wonderful uh, book and have them send it out into the world, it's like – I just feel like it's such an important part in, in, of the team, and it's such an honor and a privilege. So I specialize in developmental editing where I work with the author right from the beginning and help them, you know, through some of it is rewriting, lots of revisions. And sometimes people think editors are just like teachers who correct their papers, but <laughs> there's much more to that because we want to make sure that the manuscript or the, the soon-to-be book um, is where it needs to be as far as industry standards in all areas and um, and presents a, a wonderful opportunity uh, for their readers. 
So we also, I also have a proofreader. So we do from um, all the way through. We can go from developmental editing to copy editing to proofreading and then present them with a manuscript that's ready for printing. Okay, and you and so is this this part of your consulting services as well? Because in addition to editing, you offer consulting services. Are they different? And if so, how is the consulting service different from the editing service? Yes, so editing just deals with the manuscript where I'm just uh, um, helping you to perfect your manuscript and get it ready for publishing. But some people come as new authors. They really don't know, you know, what to do or how to even go about it, where to start. So we offer coaching as well where I'll work side-by-side with the new, with the writer who is going to be a new author and helping them to make sure that everything is done. You know, there's things like copyright, there's LCC and Library of Congress, there's ISBN numbers, there's barcodes, distribution, there's printing, there's all these things to help introduce them to this world and get them started on their new career. So we offer um, several different packages depending on what the uh, new author needs. I have a program that's called Emerging Author Program, and I have this um, wonderful process that is pretty much show me what to do. You know, and that's that's what we do. So I, I feel my services are in the show me what to do or help me do it kind of um, realm. It depends on how much interaction they want with me. Now, before we wrap up, I definitely wanted to ask you, can you share three to four steps that you've taken personally that you found to be effective at getting the word out about your books? Yes, yes. Um, don't wait um, until you have a book to tell people about it. I have my clients start speaking about their book the moment that they speak with me. The very first session that we have, it is time for you now to start speaking about your book. So you don't want to just pop out here with a book and say, hey, everybody, I have a book. Can you buy my book? And people are like, I didn't know you had a book. You know, <laughs> it's a surprise. So if you get out there on social media or wherever you do, you know, your interactions socially, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, or whatever, draw the people into the process. Let them know, this. hey, I just met with my coach and I'm excited. I'm going to write a book. And that is a conversation starter. So people are going to start asking you questions. They're going to say congratulations. And now you are prepared to bring them with you on that journey. So that's the first step that I go through with my clients. Okay. Getting the word, and then you also visit schools. So somebody with uh, a, a children's book, a good way to see if you can visit schools and do some book readings and interact with the students that way. And some people also engage, been on the book, uh, corporations where you can get hundreds of copies of your book bought by a major corporation. Yeah. There's just so many ways to go out here, and uh, more and more people are self-publishing too. Amazon, every it's like everybody is writing a book. It's, uh-huh. it's, it's true, it's true, especially since COVID. It, it, yeah, it since does. 2020. Mm-hmm. Now, where can listeners get a copy of your books? I always ask everyone to go to my website because then I can add the little extras for the children, like, the, you know, the coloring pages. I have stickers. I can sign the books. If you go, you know, if you're purchasing books on Amazon, you're not getting autographed copies, right? So I like to have that kind of control and relationship. So I ask everyone to go to naomibooks.com. If you put in the notes the child's name, I can autograph the book specifically to the child. I like to include stickers, like I say, bookmarks. I'm very personal with what I do. You know, I do this because I love children, and um, this is my purpose. So I like to engage like that. So NaomiBooks.com, uh, both of the books are there. There's also a contact page. If you are thinking of writing a book and that's your dream, I say let's do it. Let's at least talk about it. I do offer a free consultation. I don't charge for you to just, you know, get into a Zoom meeting with me real quick and ask some questions and um, see if this is something that you'd like to do. Okay. Oh, thank you, Naomi. We have had the absolute pleasure of having Naomi Dunson-White here with us on Off the Shelf Books podcast this morning. Again, her website is Naomi Books. This is where you can go and get get one of her books, Why Am I Here, Joe Harry the Great. And she just adds even, she will gift you with even more uh, 
surprises for you and your child when you receive her autographed copy of the book. It's N-A-O-M-I-B-O-O-K-S, NaomiBooks.com. Thank you so much, Naomi, for being here with us on Off the Shelf this morning. We so appreciate you and everything that you shared and how you're helping to close that children's book diversity gap. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And those those wonderful stories about purpose and encouraging children to really enjoy reading because there's so much to be gained from, from reading. So thank you again for that. And to, our li- and to our listeners, thank you for tuning in again this Saturday morning. Please set your... Just put it on your calendar that on Saturday mornings, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, you are going to catch off-the-shelf books. Tell your friends, your families, and your neighbors, people you know love books, to catch off-the-shelf books, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturdays. And as I always tell you, you are awesome. You're amazing. You are incredible. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. Know me, I'll shoot you an email with a link to the show when it finishes streaming. Thank you, and bye for now. Thank you.